Welcome to the Living Epistle Podcast, the place where you will find biblical principles to help you live out your faith on a daily basis and to have a positive impact on the lives of others. So get ready for another powerful episode of Living Epistle Podcast. Hello, my name is Tony Miles, and welcome to this week's episode of Living Epistle Podcast. The inspiration for this week's podcast actually came to me while I was recording last week's podcast. Um, This week's message was further confirmed throughout the entire week, starting with last Friday, throughout this week, um, during our 6 a.m. Noble Warriors morning prayer. I heard a similar theme during Wednesday night's Bible study, and again during this uh, Friday morning's devotion. So if you'll recall, last week's podcast was titled From Discipline to Delight. And one of the people I talked about was Nehemiah. I talked about his discipline and how his discipline helped him to achieve the goal of rebuilding the wall in Jerusalem. What I didn't talk about, though, was all of the opposition that he faced when he was trying to do what God had called him to do. Today, I want to start with him as a great example of how we can remain hopeful in the face of opposition. So let's do a brief background, and I'm full, so I'm a, my podcast may be a little longer than usual. Um, but a brief background of Nehemiah. He was a uh, contemporary of Ezra. Ezra was a priest, of course, who uh, was a leader of the Jews on their return, upon their return from their Babylonian captivity or their Babylonian exile. And so he was really instrumental in bringing people back to the book of the law or the book of the Torah, which is the first five books of the New Testament. Nehemiah was a cupbearer uh, for the king of Persia. Uh, cupbearer, or a side note, I should say, Persia is modern day Iran. And a cupbearer was a key role. He was the one who tasted the king's wine to prevent him from being poisoned. And so we understand as a cupbearer, he was in a position of trust and confidence as one of the king's key advisors. However, because of his love for his people, he was willing to give up this life of luxury and ease in the palace and to go back to Jerusalem to help his people. And so he was granted permission. He prayed to God and God granted him permission. And then he went to King Artaxerxes uh, and asked him for permission. And uh, Artaxerxes gave him permission to go back to Jerusalem and help to rebuild the uh, shattered wall. Now, here's what the Lord has been reminding me of all this past week. In spite of opposition from without and from within, the task of completing the wall was completed in 52 days. And it was a feat that even the enemies of Israel had to attribute to their almighty and their all-powerful God. And just a side note, um, we see here that God is not against walls and borders. And the wall represented safety and the sovereignty of the people of Israel. And so that's a podcast for another day. But I just had to throw that in there that biblically walls are something that God was in favor of to protect his people. So let's look more closely at Nehemiah's story. Nehemiah asks the Jews who had survived the captivity uh, captivity in Babylon and have returned to Jerusalem. Um, he asked them, how were things going with the people back in Jerusalem? In Nehemiah chapter one, verses three and four. And this is the response or this is what happened. And they said to me, and this is from the New King James Version, and they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with fire. 
So it was, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And so you see, when Nehemiah got that report, man, it really, it, it, it hit him hard. He, he wept and he fasted and he prayed. And again, we know the story. He prayed to God and he went to King Artaxerxes and Artaxerxes gave him permission. And so he goes back. And so now let's fast forward. He's in Jerusalem. He's in Jerusalem and he goes to inspect the wall at night. And at this point, he hadn't told anybody what God had placed on his heart or, or other than King Artaxerxes, but he hadn't told anybody in Jerusalem what God had placed on his heart. He hadn't mentioned it to the Jews. He hadn't mentioned it to the priests. He hadn't mentioned it to the nobles or the officials or anybody who could actually help him in rebuilding the wall. And then in Nehemiah chapter two, verses 17 and 18, he begins to tell the people what God laid on his heart. So he says, and again, this is the New King James Version, Nehemiah chapter two, verses 17 and 18. It says, then I said to them, you see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies in waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. In other words, no longer be shame in, in shame to the other nations around them. And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been upon me, and also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. And so they said, quote, let us rise up and build, end quote. Then they set their hands to do this good work. And sure enough, as soon as the people said yes to what God had called them to do, here comes the opposition. Nehemiah chapter two, verses 19 through 20. And it reads from the New King James Version. When Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they laughed at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? So I answered them and said to them, this is Nehemiah. So I answered them and said to them, the God of heaven will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no heritage or no right nor memorial in Jerusalem. So in other words, here it is. When people laugh at us, when people despise us, when people would think evil of us or people say things against us when God has told us to do something, let our response be like that of Nehemiah. He said, quote, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. In other words, laugh at us all you want to, hate us all you want to, but we know that God of heaven will help us to succeed. And he went on to say, but you have no share, you have no legal right, you have no historic claim in Jerusalem. In other words, this promise is not for you. And as you can imagine, this did not sit well with Sam Ballot, Tobiah, and uh, and um, uh, Sh uh, Sh Shechem, right? And so now they begin to uh, stop the plan of Israel to build this wall, or they begin to plot and stop the plan of Nehemiah to build this wall. And so they tried all different types of opposition. They tried ridicule, right? Nehemiah 4 and 1 through 6, and it reads, Sanballat was furious. I won't read all. I'm just going to read two verses. It says, Sanballat was furious and very indignant that they had begun to rebuild the wall. So he mocked them. Right. In other words, mocking, he derided them, he teased them, he taunted them. And he said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they revive the stones from the heap of rubbish? Whatever they build, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. So in other words, look, 
he's again saying all of this stuff against them to try to to um to just ridicule them about what they're trying to do. But look at uh, Nehemiah's response. He said they prayed to God and they continued to build. That was their response. Nehemiah verse uh, chapter four verse six. So we built the wall and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height. For the people had a mind to work. One surefire way to overcome opposition of ridicule is to pay no attention to it and continue to focus on what God has placed in our hearts and in our in your heart and in our hearts to do. They also gave the opposition through threat of attack. Right. Here's the Israelites response again. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to God and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. So they were threatening to attack them, but they kept working and then they just said, we'll set an attack. They tried discouragement. Right. In Nehemiah chapter four, verses uh, 10 through 12, it reads that the work was great and so that they were spread out and concerned about their safety. And look at Nehemiah's response here in verse 19. And then I said to the nobles, the rulers and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive and we are separated far from one another on the wall. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us there, our God will fight for us. So again, they were discouraged because they began to see the magnitude of the work. But again, he rallied the people together and he reminded them, hey, I know we're spread out. But when you hear the the trumpet come to where that is, because wherever that is, God is there to fight for us. But the enemy also doesn't just uh, bring opposition from without. He brings opposition from within. So there was opposition from within the Jewish camp, within the camp of Jerusalem. Some of the Jewish nobles and rulers were charging their fellow Jews so much interest that they were having to literally sell their sons and their daughters into slavery to pay their debts. Nehemiah called an assembly and he said, God forbid that you should do this. No longer will you do this. No longer will this be tolerated. So they proclaimed that they would no longer do it amongst the rulers and the nobles. And he also called together the religious leaders and said, uh, and, and your community as well. And so they didn't. And so Nehemiah called an assembly and told them, restore their houses, restore their land, restore their vineyards, restore their olive groves, right? Opposition from within the camp. And I couldn't help but think about sometimes when God calls us, the opposition is, isn't from the outside. It's from the people who live in the house with us that they can't see or they're doing things that are thwarting the vision that God has given us, right? But again, we continue to pray and we ask God, how do we handle that? We call an assembly when we bring correction to it immediately. But then there was opposition through compromise. Here it is. So nothing that Samballot, Tobias, and uh, Geshem had done up to this point had stopped the construction of the wall. And at this point now, There were no breaks in the wall. All that was left to do really were to hang the gates. And so now here's their approach. Man, I guess if we can't beat them, we're going to fake try to join them, right? You remember that from the olden days. If you can't beat them, join them. Well, that was Sam Ballot, Tobias, and Geshem's approach as well. In Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 2 through 3, it reads that Sam Ballot and Geshem sent to me saying, quote, come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono, end quote. But they thought to do me harm. And so I sent messengers to them saying, quote, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it to go down to you? End quote. They requested that, um, that Nehemiah come down four on four different occasions. They requested that he come down and meet with them. And on all four occasions, his response was the same. And I can't help but think about um, the late uh, Maya Angelou when she says, when people believe when people show you who they are, believe them. 
Tobiah, Samballot, and uh, Geshem had already shown who they were. And so why would Nehemiah stop the work on the wall to go down to them? And the Lord already showed them that they meant harm. They try to bring opposition through slander. So they couldn't they couldn't ridicule them to stop. They couldn't discourage them to stop. The threat of attack wouldn't cause them to stop. Even to try to trick them into compromising couldn't stop. So now they come just in straight out and lie on Nehemiah and the work that he's doing. Sam Ballot sends him a letter saying that he's rebuilding the wall and that the Jews were planning a rebellion against the king. But look at Nehemiah's response to Samballot's letter in Nehemiah six verses eight and nine. He says, then I sent to him saying, quote, no such thing as you say are being done, but you invent them in your own heart. For they were all trying to make us afraid, saying, quote, their hands will be weakened in the work and it will not be done, end quote. And so Nehemiah says, now, therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. So even when you try to slander me and even when you tell lies and everything against me to try to make me afraid. Now, therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. And here's the last one. They tried even opposition through just flat out treachery. Nothing Sam Ballot, Tobiah and Geshem had done had worked so far. So finally, they sent someone, a man by the name of Shemaiah, a spy to tell Nehemiah, hey, they're out to kill you. Why don't you go hide in the temple? Because they're coming to kill you at night. And again, look at Nehemiah's response. Nehemiah's response in Nehemiah chapter six, verses 11 through 13. 13. And it reads, and I said, quote, should such a man as I flee? And who is there such as I who would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go, end quote. And Nehemiah says, and then I perceived, ah, that God had not sent him at all, but that he pronounced his prophecy against me because Tobiah and Samballot had hired him. And for this reason, he was hired that I should be afraid and act the way and act the way and act that way and sin so that they might have cause for an evil report that they might reproach me. In other words, they were hoping to intimidate him. They were hoping to make him sin. They were hoping to be able to accuse him so that they would discredit him in the work that he was doing. Right. So, again, here's the key takeaway from all of this family is that there the enemy has no new tricks. The opposition may be more modern. It may look different. It may sound different. It may come through our iPhones and our iPads and, our, and all of these electronic devices. But at its core, it is the same old devil with the same old objective, and that is to kill, steal and destroy. But as we see and as we see, he is relentless in his pursuit of us. But by God's grace, we win. Uh, Here's what we know. And here's what gives us hope. Just as relentless as the adversary is in coming after us. We saw it over and over again here in the book of Nehemiah in this story. Right. But just as relentless as the enemy is, is coming after us. God is much more unyielding. God is much more unrelenting in his love and his passion for us. God through Nehemiah has shown us how to be victorious over our adversary. We must be led by the Holy Spirit every step of the way. And as long as we follow his leading, as long as we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, guess what? Victory is assured. And I'll close with a couple of scriptures that really that we can meditate on. And I pray 
pray that we get into our souls and we get into our spirits, even as we face opposition. Isaiah 41 and 10 reads, New Living Translation, Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Do not be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. And I have to read this from the New Testament, Romans. Just a couple of verses from Romans chapter 4. Again, New Living Translation. And this is the Apostle Paul recounting Abraham. And his verse 18 begins, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him that how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken even though at about a hundred years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead. And so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger and it was in this he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God was able to do whatever he promises. And because of God's Um, Because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, here it is, family. It wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him, the one who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. This is a great place to give God praise. And so here's as I'm closing and wrapping this up. Whatever the situation you may be facing right now may look hopeless. The circumstance you may be in right now may appear to be dead, but just know that we serve a God who specializes in the impossible. And like Noah, just keep working, keep trusting, keep believing in God, keep your focus on him. And you know how that story ends. The wall was rebuilt in record time. It was rebuilt in 52 days and Israel's enemies Even their enemies were so amazed that they could only attribute that great accomplishment to the God of Israel, the God Israel serves. And like Abraham, he was 100 years old and Sarah was about 90. But God's promise of a son, Isaac, did come to fruition, even when their bodies were reproductively dead. God was faithful to fulfill his promises. Hey, family. Just know and believe that we serve a God who specializes in the impossible. Whatever the situation, whatever the opposition, there is always hope. Just like Abraham, he always hoped and even his hope and his faith and his strength grew in the face of what his body was physically telling him. So remember, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. This is Tony Miles. Thanks for listening. Now go and be a living. Join us again next week for another episode of Living Epistle Podcast. Music for Living Epistle Podcast is provided by audionautics.com.